Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Big deep breath in. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. And we are back. And we're back. And we're back to the rest of the sermon. We are continuing our journey. We're actually coming up to a close. we got like two or three more weeks in Summer in the Psalms. Yeah, man, it's been good. Um, I would ask that our podcast listeners please excuse my voice, my crack, give out from here and there. I sound like... You're giving out crack? Yes, yes. (laughs) That's what Um, I heard. (laughs) Yes. for the I sound like the for dry red eyes, clear eyes is relief. (laughs) If it's it's any consolation, it's uh, I can't tell much of a difference. Your voice sounds just as great as it always does. I need you to hit that whiskey mellow button over there to (laughs) change my no. yeah, right yeah no. that's it there, there we you go, go. ladies and or, gentlemen jason jordan we're just auto-tuned me or something <laughs> that would be cool too so well we are continuing our journey through the book of psalms and this past week um <laughs> for once we had like an uplifting and positive yes positive psalm like a happy psalm yes it's like the, i got i get your sermon notes you send them to me every week and uh, the very first thing after the title is intro finally a happy psalm yes a psalm mark. of thanksgiving man yeah, this is man, good stuff such such good stuff we talk about god's name we talk about the importance of going to god first before we try and seek who we are yep. so we got a lot we're going to unpack today super excited about this i'm going to read through psalm chapter 8 and then we will get right into this. Psalm chapter 8, we're reading from the ESV. If you want to follow along, we'll be reading all nine verses. Psalm 8. How majestic is your name to the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, may your word come to life and be true to us in our hearts this morning. Your word never returns void, and it is, it is always true. May we come to it holding it higher than ourselves, and namely seeing Jesus in this text. May we be drawn closer to who you are and what you've done. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Psalm chapter 8, aptly titled God's Name. God's Name. God's Name. You used an illustration uh, that I'd never heard of before. I'd never heard this story before. Yeah. Uh, can you unpack that for us at the very beginning, kind of how you walked us through here? It's got, what's the guy's name? Robert Galbraith. Yeah. So, or um, so is 
it? Galebreath, whatever. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, so um, I'm a huge, obviously, Harry Potter. I'm the Harry Potter generation. So J.K. Rowling hit the scene yeah. when I'm in junior high and releases The Sorcerer's Stone. So I followed her career for a long time, read all the books, love them, this, that, and the other. Um, for those of you who think reading witchcraft is unchristian, you can send your emails to <laughs> Tyler at... No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, oh, so man. like um, on uh, 2016... News hit that there was this book released called Cuckoo's Calling. Um, it was like a crime mystery novel. When now, correction, when it was released, there was there was no news. There was yeah. no nothing. There was no anything. But on July 14th, um, just a few months later, it skyrocketed to number one. There was all of this controversy because Robert Galbraith um, is not the name. That was a pseudo name for yeah. J.K. Rowling. And so J.K. Rowling was entering into a new genre. Oftentimes authors do this. Yeah. And when the news was released that it was actually her book and she has such a massive following, the only thing that changed was the name of the author. Um, the book was ranked 4,709 on Amazon's best listing, bestsellers, and it jumped to number three literally in a day, which is 156,866% increase. And the article, which was fantastic, said, so what's in the power of a name? Quite a lot, it seems. Yeah. And so if you have a first edition of that book, it's actually not worth as much as you would think it is. But it's how just much is it worth? Um, it's only like maybe a hundred bucks. Okay, so which is not a lot. But and it's got so the new prints. Did they have J.K. Rowling's name yep. on them, or did they keep Robert Galbraith on, nope, the, on the cover? Nope. Yep. So there's only a first edition printing okay. and a first set that was ran with that pseudonym wow. author on there. In so. a world of influencers and what that word means today on social media, yep. talk about influencer. Yep. Talk about uh, going back to what maybe that word should actually be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so and so the whole reason. Why I just used that was Psalm yeah. 8 is bracketed um, in verse 1 and verse 9. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name yeah. in all the earth. And so there's obviously something about God's name yeah. that when it's ascribed or attached to something, it changes. Yeah. It changes the well, value. The, the, just, just as you said, the whole psalm is bookended. It's sandwiched with the importance of how the, and the importance of God's name and how majestic it is. And then right there in the center, in verse 4, we have this this other focus of what is man that you are mindful yep. of him. So we have got we've got this whole psalm bracketed, sandwiched, bookended with the importance of God's name and his majesty. And then right smack in the middle, we have a focus on man. Yep. And so you sort of broke this down for us like the text does into two two things: theology and anthropology. Yeah. Theology is the study of God. Everyone's a theologian, right? Yep. Like everybody has a view or a study of God. Yep. The question is just, is it, is it a right and biblical view of God? Yeah, I think that's important for listeners to hear. When yeah. somebody says, well, I think God is like, or what I think is, yeah. that is a, the correct terminology is, that is a theological doctrine. Yeah. That is a statement yeah. that you're saying. So it's very important to know that. Yeah, well, and I want to ask a question about the study of God, about yeah. theology, because um, because just as you said, people have these these ideas and, and maybe these statements of, I think God is like blank. Why is it important 
that when we want to know more about God, that we come to the Bible, mm. and namely the one who is the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature, Jesus. Sure. So I'll go uh, philosophical and then practical. Ooh. Just from a philosophical standpoint, if God, if there is a God and he there. is God yeah. and he is separate, then there is also an element of God that we can't know mm. because he is God. And so that God has to self-reveal himself, self-revelation. Yeah. So then, I mean, by very definition, I'm just speaking philosophically here. Yeah. If there is a God, then that means there are parts of this God that we cannot know, and we are dependent upon his self-revelation. And what David is saying is, I'm looking around at your creation, and it reminds me of the creator, and then he attaches... God's name as yeah. sort of the self-revelation there. And so um, I think that's at a very basic level, but then at a very practical level, listen, these are the real, like, you know, philosophers, they're like four big questions, like, is there a God? How did the universe come into existence? What is my purpose? Yeah, like, are like these are big questions. Yeah. And also, I believe these are questions that everybody has to answer even if you're a non-Christian, and this is where I would challenge anybody who's not a believer or somebody who's sort of peeking over the fence, like, you can't just say, I don't believe blank. You also have to answer that question. Yeah. So if you're saying, I don't believe in this God or I don't believe in the God of the Bible, um, you also have to provide an answer for that. Yeah. And so to, in a roundabout way to answer your question again, the reason why we come to the Bible is because we believe as Christians that this is, um, apart from the person of Jesus Christ, this is God's self-revelation yeah. of himself. The primary way God reveals himself. And yeah. through anthropology, mm. I believe that the scriptures not only reveal God, but they also reveal the study of mankind, yeah. which is what anthropology Let's is. Let's talk about anthropology for a minute. Yeah. You just defined it, the study of mankind. And, yeah. and we like to start here as people, sure. as humans. We like to start with ourselves. We've seen over and over again in the last six, seven Psalms that the best place to start is with God, yep. praying to him or thinking about him. I mean, most of these Psalms begin with, oh Lord, um, oh Lord, our God, yep. or, oh Lord, my God, or why, or they're all addressing and focus fo focusing on God and his character or just namely himself. Yeah. So praying to him or thinking about him but inversely, we like to do the opposite. So what are, what are the dangers of trying to figure ourselves out before or even without going to God's character? Yeah, sure. So, at, you know, at Westside, I would say that the aim of preaching and what I would try to teach people who preach at Westside is that the goal of preaching is a high view of Scripture. Yeah. That's what I think people walking away from preaching, don't need to go, wow, look at that preacher or this, that, and the other. They need to have a high view of scripture. Yeah. And so we're with that conviction, we're tied to the way that the text is outlined in Psalm 8. Yeah. And David starts with God and then asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? And then ends with God. So that tells me this, that when it comes to identity and figuring out who we are and what our purpose is, if I start with myself, I also end with myself. Mm. And that's horrible news. <laughs> that is yeah. like the worst news ever. Yeah. Like, 
And and so our society, I mean, the number one section in bookstores, bar none, is the self-help section. We all want to change. We all want to know purpose. And society is constantly starting with humanity and then trying to work their way out from that. And I believe that's a product of the Enlightenment. But Mm. we also end with ourself. And so I think that if we start with God, we also end with God. We start with creator and then work our way out to creation. Yeah. And it's the same way as if, you know, we're looking at these laptops or an Apple Watch or an iPhone and someone thinks Steve Jobs. Right. What David's doing in this psalm is he's looking out at creation and he's reminded of the creator yeah. in that sense. That's good, man. Well, theology and anthropology are 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 not two of, but they are the, they are the two more, most important things for us to understand. But how do we go about doing it? That's yeah. the most important thing that you've broken down for us here. And and you, we see how David does it. He starts with God, he's looking out at creation, and he looks out at humanity, and then he returns back to God. Yeah. Um, and I love this quote that you have from John Calvin. Uh, and who, his, by, who, by the way, was 26 years old when he wrote The Institutes. Yeah, think of a 26-year-old that you know of now, and then imagine them putting this together. I'm a failure. Yeah. <laughs> That's just all I think of when I see this. Oh, like, man. Uh, this, this is chiefly on on God's character. It's a quote on, on knowing and understanding God. It's the in. introduction. It's how yeah. he starts his magnum opus. Yeah. So here's the quote. This is from his Institutes. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from there. Yes. 26 years old. Unbelievable. <laughs> big idea. Uh, broke this down in a, in a tweet. You can't know who you are until you know who God is. 100%. You can't know who you are until you know who God is. The world around us communicates that who you are is found deep within you. Or yeah, or like, you or you define that. Yeah, you can that, attach that to anything. Yeah, that you are the only person who can know who yep. you are. Yep. Christianity in the Bible actually says just what our big idea says: who God is defines who you are. And by the way, can I can I just talk for a second? Yeah, I'll about, allow it. <laughs> uh, about how horrible of a news it is that you define who you are. Yeah. The amount of pressure, number one, that that brings on to you yeah. is insurmountable. Yeah. Secondly, God forbid suffering enter into your life or the life of a loved one and absolutely shakes the core yeah. of the foundation of who you thought you were. So yeah. we see this, the Olympics just happened Um there was a marvelous documentary called The Weight of Gold about Michael Phelps and how, I mean, I believe the greatest athlete who's maybe ever lived if we're stacking up gold next to each other (laughs) and the mental health problems that he struggled with about living up to that because he was defined by his performance. He was defined by those goals and they literally crushed him to death. And and so I just want to say as sort of maybe a counter argument to, well, if you have to know who God is, that's restrictive, that seems dogmatic, this, that, and the other, I, I would just have you look at the other side of that argument and say, 
if you possess the very power to define yourself, yeah. that is crushing. Yeah. That is not good news because yeah. deep down inside, we all know we have failures, we have gaps, we have insecurities. Yeah. And and I just think it's too crushing. Yeah. Can we talk about ways that we define ourselves? Like, because yeah. uh, the, the Bible actually says, like we said, our big idea, you can't know who you are until you know who God is. And if you want to know who you are, you got to start with who God is. But Let's talk about how we define ourselves. I, I remember in the past, um, you've used this illustration in sermons in the past, that a lot of times we will define ourselves as like, uh, hey, my name's Tyler, I'm, and then we start with our career or yep. our vocation. I'm a pastor or I'm a worship pastor or I'm a husband, I'm a yeah. father, all of those things. And and what what's the problem with, and I know we kind of just answered this question, but maybe we could talk about some of the dangerous ways that we define ourselves sure. before we get into like seeing God's name and how he defines himself. Sure. Can we talk about some of the dangerous ways that we define ourselves? Yeah, I actually experienced that at the first church I ever worked at, Pastor John, who was a great mentor to me and a great counselor. When Courtney and I, we weren't even married yet, we were interviewing and I introduced myself, said, my name is Jason. I'm serving part-time at the church, this, that, and the other. And Courtney said, I'm Courtney, I'm Jason's wife. And then Pastor John said, did you notice how you two introduced each other? Mm. Jason, you defined yourself by what you do. And Courtney, you defined yourself by the relationships that you have. I mean, and it was like Yoda. He was like, <laughs> whoa, man, that was intense. But, and, and I think that's actually true over male and female differences. Hey, I'm, you know, Courtney, I'm Roman's mom versus this, that, and the other. But the reason why that's so dangerous is, what happens when those things are gone? Then, yeah. then there's this reinvention. There's right. this. I mean, there's a reason why there's a such thing called as a quote midlife crisis. Yeah, it's who am I? Am yeah. I defined by this and all of that? And the reason why anything else other than who God is or what God says about us defines us is because all of those are subject to crumble at any moment. Yeah. Nobody's life is exempt from changing from a phone call or a text message. Yeah. And I believe from the Christian worldview that the Bible teaches that God has is the only one who can bear the weight of identity yeah. like that. And so I think anything else is so dangerous because it can self-destruct. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I think of the idea of dreams. We're very driven, a dream-driven um, uh culture, uh, we, we're always reaching for something that we think is greater that we can achieve and that we can run towards. 100%. And myself being a musician and the things that I, I'm, I'm a part of the world of, of creativity and creative arts, and I'm around people who, who their identity and who they are is built up in what they want to be yeah. and where they will end up. And I think the application is the same. Where were you left when your hands are empty and you don't achieve that dream? Yeah. Where are you left when you don't have what you're hoping for? Uh, your identity crumbles and shatters under the weight of your lost expectations. Yeah. And so, so I think one of the greatest things that 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 Christianity has to offer, apart from salvation and apart from bringing us to God and reconciling us to Him, is knowing who God is, is understanding where His authority in creation. And we see this spelled out for us in an acronym that you did not find anywhere. 
you actually created this acronym. Mm. God's name, N A M E. I'm I'm proud of it for you. Well, you don't have to be you. Pr- you don't have to be proud of it. I just listen be. to a lot of rap music kids. <laughs> and so that well, is that, what it is. That's the first point. We can't we can't know who we are until we know who God is. And the first thing that we see broken down in this psalm for us is God's name. Yeah. It's the highlight of the text. We see it in verse one and verse eight. O Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then we see basically all all of we, we see God's like rap sheet of everything that that shows the majesty of his name. Your glory is above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you establish your strength. You still the enemy and the avenger. You have created the heavens and the moon and the stars with your fingers and mankind as well. You care for him, but why? All of these things that we see tied to God's name and it's bookended there at the end in verse 9. So David talks about God's name. Let's talk about what he means. Can you define the like the word that's used for God's name and yeah. what that means? Then we can get into this acronym in a minute. Yeah, so in verse 1, David, in your English translation of your Bibles, uh, uses the word Lord twice. He says, O Lord, that one's all capital, and then our Lord, and that one's lowercase. What David does is the first Lord is David actually uses the covenant name of God. And this goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Um, the covenant name of God in the Hebrew, Yehovah. Nice. Um, and then the second Lord is actually Adonai, which is like a title, which yeah. is like Mr. or something like that. Yeah. But in Exodus 3, when Moses is leading the people um, out of Egypt and everything's going on, Moses asks this God in this burning bush, like, man, when I go back to Pharaoh and I say some of this crazy stuff, <laughs> wh- who do I say has sent me? And for the very first time um, in the story of the Bible, God gives us his name. Himself. Yeah, and yeah. I just want to pause. The reason why that's so massively important is because we see in the creation account, God gives mankind dominion. And it even speaks of this in Psalm 8. And one of the ways to exercise the authority and dominion was to name the animals. Um, mm. Adam did that. And it says that, again, in Psalm 8, that, that you've given them dominion over your creation. And we do this as parents, or we do this with our pets. or yeah, I mean, like it is a, a, a sense of authority when you name something, ownership, this, that, and the other. Yeah. God doesn't do that. We don't name God. Yeah. God reveals his name. Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious, we could preach a whole sermon on yeah. that. That The implications of that are massive. But in Exodus 3, it says this, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Like just the most thunder mic drop. We have a really hard time in the original language trying to translate this. And and it basically means like the existing one. Is that God sort I'm not saying it is. I'm not asking this because I think it is. I'm asking because I'm curious. Is yeah. that God sort of saying like, I told you because I said so? I mean, yeah, there's definitely a separation in that name. Like you just tell them that it's the existing one. Yeah. It's I I have always been. Yeah. It's this is it, you know? And so from there, I mean, guys, we could preach a year long series on the implications of God's name. He's saying there's none like me. Yeah. 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 yeah, He's revealed his name. What does all of this um, represent? And so I thought, man, 
we really need to break down and spend some time because the text lends itself this way as to what does God's name communicate? Yeah. Why is it important that God, number one, has revealed it? We didn't name him. We didn't find it out through works or this, that, and the other. Yeah. It's by sheer grace that God revealed himself. Yeah. What does a name mean? And so we just kind of walk through some stuff in a M E as to what that represents. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's go to that first one. God's nature is the N and the acronym yeah. name. God's nature. This is God's character. It's who, it's who he is. Yep. And the t- you said here the two most described characteristics of God's nature is that he's holy and that he is love. Yep. I mean, I know there are droves of scriptures, but but going through podcast prep and everything, the first two that came to mind were Habakkuk one thirteen, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Yeah. God's holiness and God's righteousness, and then John three sixteen, for God so loved the world yeah. that he gave his only son. Those would seem in our eyes to conflict with one another. Sure. Those would seem in, in, in the eyes of a human who maybe does not understand or parts of God's nature that we just can't fully understand because he's God. How do we reconcile God's perfect holiness? Yeah. Like of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong and God's perfect love that he loved the world so much that he would send his son to save them from their sins and reconcile them back. How do we reconcile God's perfect holiness and God's perfect love? Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I just love the phrase, God is holy love. And and the word holy means separate. It means distinct. And love is the thing that every every human being longs for. And so just by very definition of that phrase, God is separate He is distinct, he is pure, and he is love at the same time. And the Bible holds those two together. And for us, just like you said, it is a tension. And and I think it is a tension because our mind literally can't grasp it. You know, the God is light. He dwells in inapproachable light, the separateness, the distinctness. But that is at at the essence of God's nature. This is what never changes. This is who God is, is that holy separate yeah. pure love and and yeah. that that's good news and it's yeah. hard for us because we can't say this is like that right that's why it's hard for us to grasp it so yeah. when we say god's holy separate distinct love we have no other comparison yeah. but again that's what that's an element that makes God yeah. God. And that's why it's good news. Yes. Because he's it, the only one. Is there's from. no yeah. other comparison yeah. for that. What's so. the Charles Spurgeon quote? I don't know if it's if it's holiness or God's or or God's wrath, but he says if you want to see where God's I'm just gonna say holiness and I'm probably quoting it wrong. If you want to see God's holiness and God's love reconciled, look at the cross. Yeah, that's actually Keller. Keller. I'm okay. sure he probably got it from Spurgeon, but okay. yeah, that's I mean, at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see holiness, we see payment for sin. Yeah. We see see, oh my goodness, sin's a big deal. This this is how God feels about it, that his only son died for it. But at the same time, at that same bloody cross, we see self-sacrifice and unconditional love. We see all of it together. That is the gem that bridges the gap, for sure. The nature of God, God's holy love, so great, so great. Let's move to the A, God's attributes. Yep. Before we get into what the attribute, well, 
you, you got a list here. God's infinite, unchanging, self-sufficient, creator, sustainer, all-powerful, all-knowing, faithful, merciful, just, omniscient, omnipotent, all of these words that we use to describe the attributes of God. And you've got here, God is glorious. Yeah. How, how, are, how are God's attributes different from his nature? Um, are they intertwined together? That's good. And then, uh, uh, or are they different altogether? Yeah, sure. That, that, that's a great question to separate those. And and actually, God's attributes are revealed in his name. I am who I am, the all-existing one. So all yeah. of these things go back to the name. When you think of nature, I would have you think of character. Yeah. Like, um, this is how God operates with his creation. This yeah. is his very basis of his character. This is what God brings to the table. This is his nature. This is who he is. God's attributes are the effect of his character. Mm. So to think about it this way, if, if, you were, if, if your wife was to describe you as a man of character, mm. At the same time, what your wife is saying is, I trust you as my husband. Mm. And so that's sort of the difference yeah. in nature and attributes is that, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a man of character, you're honest, yeah. but the effect of that honesty brings trust in the relationship. That's good. So because God is holy love and that's his nature, the effect of that is he's infinite, he's unchanging. Yeah. These are the acts literally that, yeah. that he does in that sense. And man, when you go through and, and, and I would just challenge you if, if you're reading through the Bible, uh, through the year, like we are as a church, one of my favorite things to do. And if I was more disciplined, I would have like a color coordination for this, but like, let's say you have a yellow marker that every time it's like, Oh, Lord, our God, who is slow to anger, they're describing God's attributes. Just highlight those, yeah. highlight those and highlight those. And man, anytime you're in a season of doubt, anytime you need God to do something and you go back through and you see those highlighted sections in your Bible, yeah. that's the God you're praying to. Yeah, man. Those are the attributes of yeah, God. That's great. So great. Massively important to see God's attributes before we try to see who we are. Uh, we've said this before and it's in God's word. We are created in the image and likeness of this God. Yeah. But we also try to steal God's glory. If God is glorious, we try to steal that glory. I, yeah. think, of, I think of the illustration used a while back, stolen valor. Yeah. Uh, dudes who march around in, in military uniform and guys who like are actually in the military notice that they're wearing it wrong or doing something wrong, and they just call them out immediately. Yep. But that's a crime. It's called stolen valor. Yep. And we do the same thing. That, that's like the chief sin in the gardens, what we see in Genesis 3. How can we maintain a perspective? So knowing that we're made in the image and likeness of God, how can we maintain a perspective of humility, knowing that we're made in his image and likeness, but that we're not God's ourselves? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it comes from knowing God's nature and God's attributes. I think of Job, when Job's complained for three chapters, and then in Job, I think it's 39 he opens the chapter and God speaks. God's been silent for so long. Mm. And then God's opening line is, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And I mean, that is such, and then he yeah. starts just going, where were you when I made the Milky Way? Where were yeah. you when I made the Leviathan? Leviathan yeah. Where were you? And he just thunders Job and goes, you've been complaining and you have no idea um, what I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. And I think we need those moments of glory. You know, I say it all the time. Like, when's the last time God's taking you to the mat? 
with his bigness. I think David's experiencing that in Psalm 8. Yeah. You know, we say that the Celtics call it a thin place, and it's a beautiful understanding where it seems to be that heaven and earth, there's a very thin separation when you're at the base of a mountain, when you're looking at the ocean, when you see a sunset, when you hold a newborn, when you look at your spouse walking down the aisle. There's these moments where you're like, man. Yeah. Nobody in those moments goes, you know what? I deserve this. Well, some people. I'm, (laughs) yeah, those are called narcissists (laughs) and that's a clinical diagnosis, but, but you feel small. And so, and so I think the reason why it's so important, number one, to to start with God and to know who God is, is humility is a byproduct of something. Yeah. You're not just going to go down to the gas station, get a Slurpee and some humility. Yeah. It's a byproduct of something. Yeah. And we defined it as, you know, humility can only happen when you love something more than yourself. Right. And man, when you see God in all of his nature and attributes, yeah. that's only the proper response. Yeah, that's so great. And how gracious of God um, to make and craft and fashion mankind right. in his own image. Yep. Like before you got into God's name, um, right after you read from Exodus, uh, you said in ancient culture, your name meant everything. That that why it's why you see the son of, you know, the blacksmith yep. or the son of this town or whatever. And I like that we talked about that. Like that's who you're, you are who your dad was or what family you came from. Absolutely. And, and it was part of the way the world identified you. We are named by where we come from. Family, of course, our last name, Jordan or Saxton. Sure. But chiefly God. Yeah. God is the only one who names himself, but God also created us in his image and his likeness, and he names us. And so in the same way, we are made in the image and likeness of, of, of God, and this is, these are the qualifications, and these are, this is God's rap sheet of what makes him so glorious. And I just think how gracious and how beautiful it is that God would make man in his own image and not like in the image of a giraffe or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> or like, right. like a sentient giraffe walking around and naming apes and stuff yeah. like that. Love, love that. So we've got God's nature, his character, it's who he is, holy love, God's attributes, the gloriousness of God, and then we have God's mission. Yeah. God's M is mission. And you said God's mission is to be a loving father to his children. Yep. And I love, I mean, at Westside, we believe God's mission is the gospel. Amen. Like it's the crux of Christianity and how God redeems the world. We quote yeah. Ephesians 2 all the time because it's kind of all there in like four verses. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, and here we see God's attributes being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Yeah. And this is where we kind of start to talk about Jesus. This is where we see God's mission. God's mission is the gospel and the gospel involves Jesus. So can we, you, you mentioned before we came in this morning, and I don't know if this was in your sermon or not, um, because my kids were super loud on Sunday morning <laughs> in, in, the, uh, in, <clears throat> in the living room when we were streaming. And, uh, but you talked about Jesus's name yeah. and what the translation actually means. Can we talk about that for a minute and how that's tied into God's mission? Yeah, I think the backstory is like, number one, why is God revealing his name? Yeah. Well, because he wants to be known. And if he wants to be known, then that means relationship. Yeah. And so we see this God in the very beginning pages of the story of Scripture when man rebels. God does not move away from mankind. He moves towards them. That's he so good, He asks man. the question, Adam, where are you? Yeah. And he so, doesn't say get out. Right. Yeah. So, so that tells me first and foremost that this God is wanting to gather his kids back to him. And then here he is with Moses revealing himself. And then it's interesting in the Christmas story when the angel appears to Mary and Joseph, one of the things 
And that Gabriel says is, is that you will bear a child, he will be a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, mm. which Jesus's name is a derivative from Joshua, which means God saves. So yeah. literally in the very name of God, which is I am who I am and I want a relationship with you, I'm revealing it. And in the new covenant with Jesus, God saves. What God is communicating to us is the way that you know who I am is knowing my mission as well, mm. that this is my very nature. It's my attribute. My mission is to gather my lost children who have wandered away. Yeah, that's good, man. Also love a little detail that Mary and Joseph didn't just get the freedom to name Jesus. Nope. They were commanded. It's the same thing, man. Yeah, it's the same is, yeah, thing. So great. So we're made in the image and likeness of God. God's God's Son's very name, Jesus, means God saves. Yeah. God's mission is the gospel. How does if knowing all of these things, how does seeing a clear view of God's mission change the way that we view ourselves and other people? Yeah, that's great. That's a good question. Um, I could get into this a little bit later when we talk about being created and yeah. crowned, but. That means that, number one, we have inerrant value and worth, mm. like that we're created in his image and likeness. And that means that God thinks and loves his creation so much in humanity that his son, Jesus Christ, dies for us. So that means that C.S. Lewis says that you've never looked upon the face of a mere mortal, but someone created in the image and likeness of God. Wow. So that changes the way we interact with people, that everybody that we see, no matter the skin color, no matter the socioeconomic background, no matter the political beliefs, God values that person. God, his sole mission is to gather that person back to him in a relationship. Yeah. And it also is the way that we view ourselves. Like C.S. Lewis again said, humility is not thinking less of yourself it's just thinking of yourself less. Mm. So it's not this, I'm trash. You know, there's like this right. little thing in Christianity, like deny self. You're not like, a masochist. Yeah, yeah, man. And this idea of when God, when Jesus actually says the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. That presupposes self-love. And self-love can only come from God's self-revelation of himself. Yeah. And so I think, man, it changes the game on the way yeah. we interact. Yeah, that's good. I just used a word that I misunderstood the definition. <laughs> that's, I love it. Yeah, uh, masochism is not uh, what I thought it was. Um, basically someone who derives pleasure from pain. But, right. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't harm or hurt ourselves or demean ourselves. Um, we we view ourselves less in light of God, of who He is and what He has done, or we just think of ourselves less. Um, love that definition. That last one here. So we have God's. Sorry, I switched pages here. Here I'm back. God's nature, God's attributes, and God's mission, and then we have God's eternality. That's the E. Yeah. And here we see sort of the 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 total triune view of God: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit always existed before time, after time, before there was something, there was and is someone. Yep. And I want to ask this question because maybe you've been coming to Westside for a little while, or maybe you've been coming for a long time. You hear us talk about the Trinity a lot. You hear us talk about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And um, I want to talk about why that matters. Why does the Trinity matter? Why does God's, and then maybe we can use that to kind of jettison back into God's 
eternality. His omniscience, his omnipresence, he is forever, he is always everywhere. Yeah, for Why does sure. the Trinity matter? And then can we get into eternality? Yeah, um, you know, God's eternality, again, is there in his name. I am who I am, the existing one. But if he's the existing one, then it's kind of what you said, and it's what we say, before there was time, before there was something, there was someone, there was yeah. a relationship, there was love. And I love the way one author describes it, that God's love was so perfect within the triunity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that that love for one another and that relationship spilled out onto the canvas of creation. Mm. So then that tells me from God's, again, very nature of who God is, is that God is relationship. God is community. God is self-giving love, which means that if we are created in his image and likeness, that at our very core is the desire for relationship. I mean, the three big ones are belonging, security, and significance that every human being falls in the category of. And when we see God's eternality of God's always existing, But when we break it down to that level, we go, oh, this makes perfect sense as to why every human heart longs for those things. And we see it perfectly within the Trinity there. So it's massively important to understand that. Yeah. Well, I... Let me, if if no one's communicated this uh, to you, let me be the first to say this acronym has been extremely helpful. Nice, man. Um, very, very, very thorough and a very, uh, I agree with you. I think you could make a whole like 10 seasons of a podcast right. and just kind of break down maybe each one of these, but I'm, I'm super thankful for that. But we have God's name, his nature, his attributes, his mission, and his eternality. What does all of this mean? Yeah. How, how, how does all of this come down to like the the actual view of how I view God, how I view myself, how I interact with other people. And you've got this broken down into three points here. The first one is the God of the Bible is both powerful and personal. Yeah, that's what I see very clearly in Psalm 8. When I see, when I look at the work of your fingertips there in verse 3, the moon and the stars which you have set, and then verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? Yeah. I see power, I see creation, I see all of that, but then I see a descending of being mindful of that. And I yeah. think that's so important because you know, what David is also doing, David is in a pluralistic society where there was the moon God and all of this type of stuff. And David's going, no, 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 there's one God, one creator. But in those societies, those gods and in Greek society were far removed from the culture. They were not involved with their creation. And if they were, it was really weird stuff and fables came about. But what David is saying is this God is powerful and he's personal. And that's good news. Because if we had an all-powerful God that wasn't personal, that would be scary. That would not be good. That would be terrifying. But if we had a God that was all-personal and not powerful, then there would be no hope. There would be no security in that. And so this God is both. This God is both. That's good. Yeah, I think culturally we we often divvy it up or we hear Christianity outside of the Bible described as, oh, well, God is all-powerful. So why would he allow these things to happen to good people or whatever. And that's a bad news. That's not the God we believe in. That's not the God we know. Or we have a God that's just totally personal. And why is he only doing these things for you, but not doing things for me? Like, I I love that he's both. I love that that's, that's who he is. The second one we have here is the God of the Bible is the creator of all creation. Yep. He made everything. Yep. Like this is where it doesn't get fun (laughs) in in the sense of not being politically correct because 
what we see very clearly in scripture is, and you know, I'll catch some slack for this, but that's fine. But there is a dualistic aspect. And I don't mean dualistic in like God and Satan are fighting. I mean that I believe the greatest false gospel that is being preached right now is what's called oneism. Mm. Um, and what oneism is, is there's no truth. There's no error. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no light. There's no darkness. There's no male. There's no female. There's no, everything yeah. is fluid. Everything is one. Everything is whatever you want it to be. And actually in Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul says, that's actually evidence of, that's one of the number one evidences of a broken creation in sin in society is denying that there's a creator. That when you look out at creation, your natural instinct from a very early age is there's got to be a creator. And the reason why that's so important is because there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is truth, there is lies, there is I mean, all of these things, and there is a creator and there is a creation. And if we don't know that distinction, what we will end up doing is rejecting the creator and worshiping the creation. Mm. And that's what we see with money and celebrities and all of that stuff is we end up worshiping idols in that sense. That's good. The third one you have here is the God of the Bible must be responded to properly. Yeah, this is where, and this is where our this this is where our action comes into place. We have a choice. We have a way to respond. And you used a quote here by Tim Keller, which I absolutely love, and I'm just going to read it in full yeah, because it's so it's really great. Good. He says, "When I was a new Christian, a young Christian at a camp in Colorado, that's where I'm from, not anymore. Um, I listened to a woman who was a great Bible teacher. In her teaching, at one point, she said, if the distance between the Earth and the Sun, 93 million miles, was the thickness of a piece of paper." then the distance between the earth and just the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, that's free, would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. The distance between the earth and the end of just our Milky Way galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. Wow. And our galaxy is just a little speck of dust in the universe. And if God created all that with his fingertips, like we see the language here in Psalm 8, and if God upholds it all according to Hebrews 1 with the word of his power, like his pinky, a word of his power, she said, do you ask a God like that into your life to be your assistant? (laughs) I could stop there, but there's more. Do you connect with him in order to get him to do what you need? Do you ask him into your life to be your consultant or to be your assistant? No. If you come into connection with a God like that, (laughs) yeah you are his assistant yep you are his assistant how do we respond properly to the god who created everything yep how do we respond properly to the god who made life who made the cosmos who made the mountains who gives breath in our lungs who woke me up this morning how do we respond properly to this god yeah man this is boots on the ground this is getting to the heart of it all this is what jesus's beef was with the pharisees who had memorized and done all of this but at the same time we're we're hypocrites and and what he's saying is is what tim keller is saying which i think is so great and had such a profound impact on him is this changes my prayer life, this changes everything. And the proper response is bowing the knee. Mm. It is submission. Yeah. It is submission to my finances, to my dating life, to what, I mean, all of those things now. 
if this is the God of the Bible, and if he stretched out the Milky Way like we zoom in on an iPhone, this is how powerful this God is. And we think that we can negotiate and haggle with this God, that we have a very, very low view of who this God is. And so the proper response is one of submission. It is to say that, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I mean, that's it. That's the only proper response. You know, one of the points that I almost had that I didn't get into, but there's this weird section in in verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy of the avenger. That seems really weird. And in essence, if I was to put a fourth point, the God of the Bible uses weakness to show his strength. Mm. That's what he's saying. That's what David is saying is, you use this broken creation, you use weak vessels to shame the strong. The parallel in the New Testament is when the Apostle Paul says that God has used the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Guys, that's why it never makes sense. That's why when you step out in obedience in this area of your life, or God is requiring blank of you, you go, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't look, and by the world's standards, it doesn't look faithful. It doesn't look like obedience, but that's how the God of the Bible operates. That's good. What I see in verse two is if you think you're a big, bad, strong man, just be around a crying baby for a few hours. Yep. There you go. That'll rock you to your core. That'll rock you to your core. Um, So we have God's name and we have what it means. Let's move to humanity's frame. Yeah. Humanity's frame. Because we see it there in verse four. We see see Psalm eight, as we've seen, as we've said before, bookended with, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then smack dab in the middle, we see verse four. What is man? that you are mindful of him, yep. and the son of man, that you care for him. Can we unpack that for a minute and then walk through these three points that you have here? Um, yeah, three, so, now, so now David transitions, and it's like, if this is who this God is, if this is Yehovah, if this is the God of the universe, and, and we've seen his attributes, his nature, his mission, and his eternality, yeah. now this defines who I am. Yeah. Now... Um, and and it's almost like David is like, why why would you, why would you even care, uh, you know? I mean, how are you even involved? Like, look at all of this. Look at everything that you have to do, but you are mindful. And then he gets into, I think, three sort of correct ways that that we can view ourselves, that yeah. we can view humanity. Yeah, that's good. That first one is we are created by God. Yep, we are created, and, and this brings up interesting thoughts. Like all humans were created in the image and the likeness of God. We are created by him. And I think one of the detriments and the dangers that we do as, uh, as believers, as, as Christians is we isolate ourselves away from the world in terms of our humanity. Mm. We look out and we say, those people are less than us. Uh, Those people don't have what we have. They don't know what we know. Everybody you interact with on social media is not human. They're an avatar. Yeah. Or they're just words on a page without a soul. Like, how should this change the way that we treat others? Yeah, man. Like knowing that, like you say to me, Tyler, you are created in the image and likeness of God, but so are all of those people that you disagree with. So are all of those people who are maybe committing atrocities overseas. So are the people who fill in the blank, whatever it is that's not like you. 
if we are all, if every human being is created in the image and likeness of God, created by God, how does this change the way that we treat other people? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to what we said a little bit earlier that when you interact with someone, you're interacting with someone who has value. Yeah. And so this changes the way that we view life, that yeah. we view babies. But I mean, really significantly, it changes the way that we value the poor, the oppressed, yeah. the. You know, we don't go the route of like, we'll give them what they deserve or this, that, and the other, because what we're saying is, is that person is valuable. That person has a soul. That person, God knows, God has numbered their days. And so those are our motivations to interact with what we would call the marginalized of the society, the outcast. Listen, when you read the pages of scripture, God moves away from people who think that they are strong and self-sufficient. I'm just thinking of King Saul or somebody like that. And God always moves toward the oppressed and very specifically the poor. God has a ton to say about the poor. And that is because he's going... They are valuable, yeah. just like you are. Yeah. And that is the motivation then to interact and yeah. pursue and to do justice and walk humbly with the Lord yeah. your God. And if you want to argue against that about being God's character, maybe in the scriptures, you can also just go to the New Testament and look at the life of Christ. Look at who he was hanging out with. Look at who he was spending time with. Sure. That's where God gravitates towards the poor, the broken, the destitute, the lost, all of those. So we are created by God. We are also cared for by God. Yep. I love this one because it made me think of an axiom that we learned in gravity leadership um, is God cares about it more than you do mm. is one of the axioms. So good. So whether it's your mental or your physical health or the trial that you find yourself in right now as you're listening to this, God cares about it. Yep. And he even cares about it more than you do. Yes. Um, so we are cared for by God, not just as individuals, but the complexities of our lives, the things that we're going through, the people that we interact with, the relationships that we have. So we're cared for by God. So how, how does knowing this change the way that we travel through hardships or even celebrations in life, Yeah, knowing that we're cared for? It's a good question. I think a lot of people think, you know, God created me. Some people are like, wow, God saved me. But then a lot of people think, well, God's really busy, like talking to the Pope mm. or God's really busy with the stuff over there in the Middle East. God, God really isn't involved in my marriage mm. or anything like that. And the reality is, is that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. What David is saying is what is so mind blowing about it is that this God is involved in the ordinary. The New Testament parallel is when Jesus says there's not a bird that doesn't fall from a tree. God knows every hair on your head that he is intimately involved with your life. And this is something that we never move beyond. Mm. I told a story about the German philosopher, Karl Barth, who's had a great impact on my life, but he wrote his magnum opus was Church Dogmatics. It's like 14 volumes. I have a copy in my library, but (laughs) nobody cares about that. But um, just profound, deep theology, six million words. um, And it's, It's just incredible the deep theology that this man, that God granted him access to uh, and the hard work that he did in the scriptures to pursue those things. And he was getting interviewed by Christianity Today after Church Dogmatics released. And they said, after this magnum opus and all of this, what is your takeaway? Like, what is, give us some secret wow knowledge here, man. Like, you're in the deep stuff, dude. You're the guy, man. You're you're out there. And Carl Bart thought for a while, and he smoked a pipe and took a puff of his pipe and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, 
for the Bible tells me so. That's his takeaway. Yeah. And it was a tongue in cheek answer of it's the gospel. Yeah. It's the, all that is, is six million words of a meditation of me thinking on Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This is not something that we move beyond, but the fact that we are cared for by God, that God is involved, God cares about it more than you do, gives us deep comfort as human beings. That's good. So we're created by God, we're cared for by Him. And then this last one, man, we are crowned by God. Yep. We are crowned by Him. This idea that, that we are like the crown, the prized piece of his creation. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's yeah. let's talk about why why are humans different than giraffes? Yeah. Why, like right. what 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 sort of authority is given? What do we have? What do we not? And what makes us prized and crowned of of God's creation? Yeah, here's a fun study. Um study the breath of God in scripture. Because the Bible opens with God breathing into mankind, giving him a soul. Then we also see in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. God breathes the breath of life into them. And then we see in the book of, uh, in the end of the Gospels, Jesus breathes his last. Then we see in the book of Acts, God, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus breathes on the disciples, giving them the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible ends with Jesus breathing on his enemies. It's it's just a very fun bookend to study. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because God breathed in us the very breath of life. Yeah. And that is what separates us from everything else. And the thing that stuck out to me really in verse 5 is it says, you know, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory. Yeah. I'll, you know, I just thought to myself... Glory is given, it's not gained. Mm. And any time in my life that I start operating out of trying to gain this glory, it never goes well. Mm. God gives the glory. I think of Joseph when he's in prison. Joseph has to stay longer in prison because he says to the baker, tell the king my name and remember me. When Joseph tried to self-promote, here you go, guys, on Instagram, this, that, or the other. When Joseph tried to self-promote himself, he actually got demoted by God and stayed in prison longer Mm. because glory is given. It's not gained. And I just think that, man, to think about that the crown of God's creation is human beings is a very, very humbling thing to think about because I don't think many of us view ourselves that way. Yeah, and just as we've said multiple times before, when... We also view others that way. And Absolutely. That changes the way that we treat other people, regardless of how they disagree with us or what we land on in terms of politics or any of that garbage. We we know that all of us are made in the image and the likeness of God, and there's something different about human beings, and it comes from God's glory. Yeah. It comes from his creation. It comes from his breath. I yep. love that. You brought us through here towards the end. There still seems to be a problem. Like we have this, yeah. We have this creating all powerful, all holy and loving God, and then we have this creation. But it seems like there's a disconnect. Like there, there's, yeah. like there's a there's like a a gap without a bridge between yep. the Creator and His creation. Yeah. Uh, and you quoted Blaise Pascal. He said, "Human beings are the greatest paradox, for we are both wretched and great." Yep. <laughs> and there's like a gap between God and man. And and I want to get into this word in verse four. Um, 
because I'd never heard this before, and it was mind-blowing. I loved it. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him, that yeah. word care? Can we talk about that for a second and then maybe move into who bridges the gap between God and man? Yeah, and so it's not just this sentimental idea of this God who cares for him. In the original language, the root of that word and the way that that word is translated in the majority of the New Testament is the son of man that you visit Verb. Him. It's a yeah. verb. It's an action. Yeah. And so because there is this separation between creator and creation, this God bridges the gap and visits and comes. And mm. we see Psalm 8 quoted in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, excuse me, and it's ascribed to Jesus that, that you made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Mm. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. There it is, man. And crowned him with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God that he might taste death for everyone. Mm. And, and what I said was just the very basic elements of the gospel. It's a gospel presentation that man is separated from this holy God. And, and we said Jesus is fully God and fully man in order to fully bridge the gap between God and man. Yeah. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion is that this God takes on humanity's frame, yeah. the frailness of it. And that's the beauty of the gospel, man. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, I wrote down a couple questions that I want to ask just to kind of leave with people. And then I'm going to turn to Hebrews because I want to read from Hebrews before we close. But two questions. For the unbeliever, for someone who, as we say so often, if you're peeking over the fence at Christianity, yeah. maybe you're listening to this. How would you name yourself right now? How would you name yourself? Maybe after having listened to this podcast or, or gone through this passage of Scripture uh, in Psalm chapter 8, how would you name yourself right now apart from the saving grace of God, apart from his attributes, his name, and even knowing that you are created in his image and likeness? And then secondly, for those of you who love Jesus, how would you have named yourself before God saved you? And how do you name yourself now? Mm. Um, what's your name now? Uh, is your name before God saved you lost? Is it broken? Is it sad? Is it depressed? How would you name yourself now? Is it chosen? Is it a son or a daughter? Is it loved? I would just ask you to, to meditate on that and to think on that this week. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Amen. This is the God in the flesh that we serve and love, Jesus Christ. This has been really good, man. Yeah, man. That's it's fun. Super thankful again for the name acronym. That's going in notes forever <clears throat> in a little moleskin that I've got. Um, is there anything that you would like to leave with our people before we bounce for the day? Yeah, man, just to uh, encourage everybody with everything that seems to be going on in the world, with school starting, with sickness, with everything happening, uh, nations in turmoil, this is the God of the Bible. Yeah. And that God is the same God of yesterday, today, and forever. And so um, this is the God we approach. This is the God who hears us in prayer 
And so seek and pursue to know that God and then everything else just sort of takes care of itself. So, yeah, man. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, a couple of things coming up. Uh, We have our business meeting tonight for Covenant members. Well, today's Tuesday, but you'll hear this tomorrow, Wednesday. So tonight, Wednesday night, tonight at the church, uh, we have our our annual business meeting. If you are a Covenant member, you've gone through our connection class in the past and all of that, you can come to that here, and then uh, you get a vote as well. So anything else we got coming up? Yeah, man, we've got um, Westside Men and Westside Women are going to be um, starting in the month of September, and so we're super excited to get involved back in that. Uh, Westside Women will be starting Monday, September. September 13th there at the church at 6 30. Yeah. Westside men will be starting Wednesday, September 15th at 6 30. I've got a really cool guy coming in, Mr. Marty Williams, former FBI agent, done yes. three tours in Iraq. Wow. This guy loves Jesus and he's going to come talk to us as men um, about what it is to be a man, but what it is to be a man who follows and loves Jesus. And mm-hmm. so I'm really, really excited about that. But Westside Men, Westside Women, um, our connection class is filling up. Uh, we've got new members that are going to be joining. God is good and God is gracious to yeah. us as a church. And so there's just some really cool things um, happening, man. At the end of this series, you're going to hear some really cool news, hopefully next week on the podcast about yeah. some really exciting exciting stuff happening in the church. Baller. That'll be great. Well, as always, send us your questions, your hard questions, your easy questions at info at westsidepb.org. Come worship with us uh, through the end of our summer hours uh, at Westside at 10 a.m. right now for our one service, and you can catch our live stream on Facebook at 10 a.m. as well, and you are listening to this podcast now, so you know where to get it, but it's available on any podcast platform. That is all we have for you for today for the rest of the sermon. Thank you for joining us. We love getting to do this. I love getting to do this. And until next time, may everything that we say and do be all about Jesus. Blessings. We love you.